could, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. As I said, we're going to be spending some time over the next several weeks in, uh, in the Old Testament. You know, we've, uh, we've gone through a lot of books uh, or several books leading up to this point. We spent a lot of time in the New Testament. And uh, man, God's just really been weighing on our hearts to kind of lean into the Old Testament and see what God has for us there. And so this morning, just kind of continuing on this theme, as you'll see this morning, uh, in the text in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time and we'll spend a little time in 1 Samuel 2 but um, m- most of our time will be spent in 1 Samuel 1 and so you can turn there and this morning really our whole theme our whole idea is this idea of dedication and what that means and what that looks like for me as a believer from us as a faith family from us as, tr- as, a, as Christians stepping into this space what that looks like and you know I always like to try to sum everything up in one idea and I don't have it on the screen this morning but, but this idea the reason for dedication why do we do what we do why do we bring our children before our faith family and bring our families together and we say this is what we're committing to this is what we want to see happen and we're inviting you into it it's because of this idea I truly believe That dedication, the act of dedication, is resting in and embracing God's grace. Resting in and embracing God's grace. Knowing and trusting Him to do what He says He will do and work where He can work in our lives and uh, and in a a way that only He can. And so what is dedication? You know, what is this idea of dedication? Well, I I believe dedication kind of carries two kind of ideas with it. Um, The first sense of dedication is is this idea of commitment. That I'm committed to something. That I'm promising to to do something. That that this is the the, the idea of of a covenant, of a promise that I'm giving something up. I'm giving of myself for something. And so there's this first idea of dedication, but then there's also this second idea of dedication where it's this idea of setting something apart, right? Like we dedicate a day to somebody or we write a, a write in a book and we dedicate this book to an individual or an idea uh, or, a, or an event. We de- dedicate days to events. So what we're doing in that de- type of dedication is we're setting something apart as important. We're elevating it to this place of importance. And so when we enter into this idea of dedication, that's where I want us to kind of see from this, this, this lens of not only committing to doing something, but also setting something apart as valuable and important in our lives. And so, you know, this morning, a lot of what we'll talk about will revolve around the family unit. Okay, it'll revolve around the family unit, a husband, a wife, and kids, and that type of thing. But also understanding that in our single life, married life, dating life, maybe single parent life, that this still applies in this idea of dedication and how we navigate that. You know, and, uh, and I love this idea. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, a, a famous theologian, he said this. He said, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. And so in 1 Samuel this morning, that's what we're going to see is this idea of how we are uh, actively participating in this dedication that Jesus has called, that God has called us to, that, that is valuable, that is important, that is profitable, not only for our lives, but for our kids' lives or for our spouses' lives or for the people around us, just the individuals that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And so if you could, if you would open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read down to verse 10 together and see what God has for us this morning, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, and the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf. All right, there's tons of names in here, and if you listen back later, you're probably going to find out I said them wrong, but we're doing our best with this, all right? 
an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Verse 9. And after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. In verse 11, we read down through there. And she vowed a vow and said to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I ask you to open our eyes to your text. God, challenge us, convict us. Lord, just show us what it is you have for us specifically in our spaces. God, whether we're married with kids. God, whether uh, our kids are grown up, whether we're single or dating or, or, or single parenting. Whatever that situation might be, God, draw us into this idea of dedication and why it's valuable to us. God, reveal to us the truth of your word this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I believe that there's two ways in which we enter into this dedication, that we approach this idea that that God intends for us. Because we know that anything God intends for us is because he's trying to draw us away from something lesser for us to enjoy something better. Amen. And so God never is drawing us to something lesser. He's always got something better for us. And so these two ideas that I want us to see this morning kind of draw us into this idea of dedication and really help us to walk in that dedicated mindset. And the first thing that I want us to see this morning is dedicated submission. That the idea of dedication is made visible and is worked out through a dedicated submission. And we see that here in verse 11. We see her... uh, uh, Hannah mentioned this word or this phrasing three times specifically here and five times total in this one chapter. She calls herself your servant. As she talks to the Lord, she calls herself your servant, Lord. And when she's talking to the priest later on further down, she says, your servant. And this idea that God being the head and the, and, and the priest being the spiritual authority, but still giving that authority to the Lord. And so five times in this one chapter, she calls herself your servant. So what I truly believe what Hannah and what even Elkanah is trying to reveal to us is that dedication begins with submission, that there's no separation between that. Before we can truly be dedicated to the Lord or before we can truly be committed to what God has for us, it begins with this idea of submission. You know, and, and there's two layers of submission that are revealed to us through this text that Elkanah and Hannah both present. Elkanah being her husband and, and Hannah being the wife in this situation. And so first, Elkanah and Hannah are submitted to God, and we'll see that play out. And then also Elkanah and Hannah are submitted to each other in marriage. 
You know, and first off to God, we see that Elkanah uh, would go yearly, year after year. He was a worshiper of God. He would go to the place where they would do worships and they would, uh, they would sacrifice for the forgiveness of, of his family's sins and, and, and lay their offering on the altar. And, uh, and, and so he was a, a, a faithful worshiper of God. He was submitted to God and he was not someone special. The Bible calls him a certain man, which basically doesn't give him much. Uh, a lot of times when the Bible would talk about somebody with some type of status or stature, that was something worth mentioning. It would mention it. But for Elkanah, it just says he's a certain man. He's nobody special. But what he was is he was committed to the Lord. He was committed to worship. He was committed to leading his family to that place of worship year after year after year. Now, the thing we have to understand about Elkanah is he was not perfect. You know, if you heard me right in the beginning, we said that Elkanah not only had one wife, but he had two wives. And this was a common thing in the Old Testament and, and even in the, in the, in the history of, of Christianity in the early days here in the Bible is that they would have multiple wives. God never said this was okay. This was never God's intention. We know that from in the beginning. He says one man, one wife. But they would typically do this out of sin. You know, they would typically, this idea of what they would call, uh, that is called bigamy, where they would be married to someone while already married. They would be marrying someone without, while already being married to someone else. And, and more than likely, the reason that Elkanah married someone else, he married Hannah first. The reason he married Peninnah is more than likely because Hannah could not conceive children. And so we see that Elkanah, even though he was a faithful man to God, he would worship. He did have his faults, as most of us do. Amen. Elkanah was not perfect and he showed a lack of faith in God and stepping out and doing his own thing. And then Hannah, we see her in her submission to God. It says five times in her prayer to God, she calls herself a servant or another translations may say maid servant. Showing her submission that God is higher, that Lord, I am laying myself and my needs and my, desire, my, my desires before you. Father God, I'm laying myself before you. Her ability, she's calling out to Jesus, calling out to God as master, as Lord, as king. You know, in the midst of her disappointments, in the midst of everything that she was going through, she was submitting herself to the Lord, understanding and resting in his sovereignty, knowing that God had a plan, knowing that God was seeing things bigger and better and broader than she could see. And we know that because the Bible tells us that the Lord was the one that had closed her womb. So we know that God had plans for this woman and her family. And she had faith that God would do that, that God would work that out. You know, and, it, and it's within this bond, it's within this bond of submitting to God that strengthens the bond between the submission to each other in a marriage. It's, and, and, and that's truly the reason why they could navigate these things, navigate these, these difficulties, because both of them first, their main priority was in their submission to the Lord. Elkanah going yearly, leading his family to go worship yearly, leading his family to acknowledge their sins and make an offering for their sins, knowing that they needed God's forgiveness. And then also Hannah calling herself a servant and praying to the Lord, being faithful to his provision and what he would do for them and through them and in them. And so not only were they submitted to God, but they were also submitted to each other. Elkanah, even though faulty, he was good to Hannah. I love this verse uh, in verse 5 where he says, but, he, but Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Because he loved her. 
You know, so Elkanah was good to her. He did not cast her out because she could not bear children. You know, in this time, day and age, to not be able to bear children was looked on as a curse or looked on as a failure. They were looked on as lesser, like they had no purpose, like they had no value. They already struggled to have rights as women in this day and age. And so the fact that she could not bear a child for most people would have seemed worthless. But because, because Elkanah was a worshiper of God and he saw value in everybody. You know the word, the name Elkanah actually means God has created. God has created. And so Elkanah, being an image of God, had an appreciation and a love for image, other image bearers of God. He appreciated life. He appreciated and he loved her. Even though he was faulty, even though he lacked, uh, lacked faith in an area of God's provision, he took care of Hannah. And he did not cast her out. He was submitted to her and her needs. Now we know that he failed several times. We, we see that, that his other wife was very ugly to her and treated her very harshly, more than likely because he loved her so much. And she felt like, well, I've given you so many kids. I've given you so many things. Why don't you love me as much as you love her? But the thing is, just like our relationship with the Lord, it's not about what we've given to, her, uh, to him. It's not about all that we offer to him. He doesn't need anything from us. You know, uh, his other wife, Penina, her name means jewel. So in a sense, it would have seemed like she would have been the more valuable. But it says that he loved Hannah more. And he, she had not given him a single thing, but he loved her more. Beautiful representation, and we'll get to that later on. But we don't see him intervening in the mistreatment of, of, of Hannah. And so seeing him fail in one area. And then also in verse 8, we see this. And I think this is a, a situation where probably most husbands fall into because we're, we're, we're just uh, thick-headed sometimes. It says that he sees Hannah upset. He sees Hannah weeping. He sees her crying. And he tells her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more than ten sons? So Elkanah, failing as we tend to do as men because we're a little distant sometimes, he totally missed what she was struggling with. He totally missed her needs. He totally missed what she was desiring from the Lord and what she was desiring for herself and her family. He says, aren't I enough? Aren't I good enough? Aren't I enough for our family? Aren't I enough for us to move forward? And what she is saying, what she isn't communicating in this moment, but what she's been communicating with her desires and what she's praying out to the Lord later is that she's crying out for something to give back to God. She wants to pursue God. She wants to bless the Lord. She wants to glorify God and everything that she does. And her husband was missing. But he loved her and he cared for her. But thank God for Hannah's faithfulness. And we'll talk about that as we move forward also. And so Hannah, being in submission to her husband, see, we see that she was always honest with her husband. She was always honest with what she was dealing with, why she was upset. She didn't hide her emotions. That's why he was able to ask her what was wrong, what was going on with her. Because the most vital thing in submission to each other in a relationship, in this dedication, in this dedication of submission, is honesty, is vulnerability, is communication. You know, the moment, the moment that communication stops is the moment when a relationship begins to struggle. The moment that honesty and vulnerability are allowed to be present in a relationship is the moment that it begins to struggle. C.S. Lewis said this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. To be showing of our weaknesses. To be showing of where we need help. Because that's the whole Reason God has molded us together with someone else because we have places where we fail. We have places where we struggle, where we fall short. And I need that complementary part into my life to help balance me out. 
God is intending to do that with us. And so he says that she, she made her needs known and she was there participating year after year with the worship, even though she knew every time she went she was going to be ridiculed by the other wife. It says that she continued to go and worship. So both of these, they were dedicated in submission. They were submitted to the Lord first and foremost, but they were also submitted and committed to each other. And so not only is a dedicated submission that is vital to see this play out in our lives, but it's also this idea, the second thing and the last thing this morning being our dedicated intentions. Dedicated intentions. And this is vital. And the rest of the, the morning, we're really going to focus in on Hannah because she had it all together. She had it all together. She knew what she wanted and she knew who to go to for it. In verse 11, we see that she did this. She said, it says that she vowed a vow and her vow was that I will give him to the Lord. In the midst of her difficulties, her sadness, her disappointments and mistreatments, she never lost focus on her true intentions. She wept, she vowed and prayed and poured out her soul, it says later on in those verses, it says that she had anxiety, that she had grief because her desire to have a child. But we have to understand this that her desire to have a child was not for her own good. And we see that through her vow. She isn't asking for a child for her own good. She's not asking for it to make her life easier, to gain relief from her abusers, to please her husband, to check something off her list as a woman. That is not why she's asking for a child. She's already got her husband's love. She doesn't need to have a child to gain that. She has a family. She has everything she needs and wants. And yes, she's, she's accepting ridicule. Yes, she's getting all these things. But we know that that's not the reason she's asking for a son because she's willing to let him go as soon as she gets him. She had intentions and her intentions were to glorify God, to take what she had, to take what if God would give her this responsibility that it says that, he want, that she wanted to take these steps of faith to give him back to the Lord and to see God be glorified. What we see here and what is so vital, not only for this family that we're reading about here, but what is so vital for us in the church today is we see a woman taking leadership in her family. Now I say that understanding and believing wholeheartedly that God has intentions and, and complementary roles for us as men and women in our life. But too often, I believe the church lays out that a woman has no place in the church. She has no place to, do, uh, to, to, to step in any type of leadership in her family or step in any type of leadership in the church. That it completely suffers, mainly the children. Because too often, the husbands, we tend to be a little uh, thick-headed and uh, we're, we're a little slow to catch up. I thank God for a godly wife that was given to me. I thank God that I had a wife that challenged me. I thank God that I had a wife that had faithful intentions for my children long before I did. Because honestly, without her, we may not be here today. Moms, I pray that you would see in the Bible time and time and time again where faithful women would take steps of leadership in their spaces to see better for the people, for the children that God had entrusted to them. We see it in Moses and, and in Moses' sister. The dad absent, the father absent in this situation, and they take it upon themselves to tend to and take care of the child that God had entrusted to them that would do great things and be a leader for God's people. 
We see it in Timothy's uh, grandmother and Timothy's mother. Who, his father was a pagan, was a non-believer, was a Greek. He, he was not contributing to, to God's kingdom growing amongst the people. But what did, what, did, uh, what did Timothy's mother and grandmother do? They poured into him the scriptures. They poured into him God's will for him. Stepping outside of maybe the belief system of the father, the intentions of the father. But they had faithful intentions for their children. And thank God they did, because then we have a glorious leader in the church of Ephesus in Timothy. Thank God for godly mothers. Please, 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 moms. If you, you know, just like in this situation, obviously Hannah had more faith in this situation than Elkanah. He had already stepped out. Married someone else to, give, to fill that void of children, but he still loved Hannah, thankfully. And we don't see him praying these same type of prayers. But thank God for Hannah. Praying these prayers for a child. Praying these prayers to offer something back to the Lord. And not just for herself. Not, she's not asking for this gift to make herself feel better about it. She's not asking for this gift to make her life easier. You know, she desired to see the Lord's work done in these intentions of directing her gifts towards him for his glory and to make, her, to make this her kingdom contribution, raising up a godly leader for Israel. That was her intentions. She wanted to see good for God's kingdom. And that's why she was asking for a child. And the thing that we have to be careful of and the thing where Hannah is, is just being so clear this is not her intentions is that our children, our spouses are a gift to us. They are. They're a gift to us. But like any gift, they can become our gods. We can worship at the altar of our kids. We can worship at the altar of our spouses. And that is not where God has called us to. He is the only one that can be elevated to the position of the highest level of worship and authority in our life. But it's through that that our kids and our spouses and the people around us get the love that they deserve, get the intentions that they deserve, get the faithfulness that they need. But it begins with God. Our kids can never be our gods. I have four of them. If they were all my gods, I'd have a lot of gods and I'd be in a bad shape. With all the things they have going on and, and, you know, and we can get so tied up because we love to see our kids happy. We love to see them successful. We love to see them not hurt. We love to see them not disappointed. But what I've learned through 12 years is that there are times where that may have to be the case. They may have to be disappointed in this moment. Because God's call is higher than whatever their call is, whatever they have going on. You know, our kids can be involved in so many different things, but we cannot ever allow ourselves to worship at the altar of our kids' extracurriculars. We can never let ourselves worship at the altar of their comfort. We can never allow ourselves to worship at the comfort of their convenience because God has higher callings than that for them. And Hannah understands that. Hannah understands that, that understanding that later on we'll, we'll read that it says that, that, that he will be with her through this time of nursing and, and she'll wean him off of herself to be able to give him up. But she understood there is a time, there is a time when I'm, I'm with him. There is a time that I'm pouring my life into him and, and supporting him and providing for him. But understanding there is also a time that there is something more important for him, that I have got to point him to something bigger, point him to something better, point him to a God who is greater and holier than I. I am. Our kids need that more than they need anything else from us to point them to a holy God. Psalm 27, 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage or a gift from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. 
Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. You know, and I love this idea that it uses this idea of arrows because the reality is we don't shoot arrows just to land on the ground and slide across the floor. We shoot arrows to stick, right? And for arrows to stick, they're landing, they need to be sharpened. So church, there is a responsibility from us as not only as the parents of, the, of children, but as the faith family of children, like we've celebrated this morning, to participate in the sharpening of those arrows. So when we send them out to fly, they stick their landing. Church, there is a sharpening, but our intentions are to shoot them in a direction that is towards the Lord and His work and goodness for their life. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Everything we have is a gift from God. Every good thing comes from God. She wanted, to, she wanted a child to offer back to the Lord, making a kingdom contribution in His life. To not be distracted by the glitz and the glamour of the world that, thro- that is thrown in front of him. And I love in verse 7, she says that she wants to commit him, give him to the Lord all his days. Now the thing we have to understand about these gr- this group of people is they were Levites. And so with Levites, they were automatically going to become priests. That was kind of their thing, their tribe. They were the priests of God's people and of the tabernacle. But they would not act in that light as priests until the ages of around 25 to 50. That would be the range at which they would act as priests. And so there was already this expectation that he would one day become a priest if she were to have a kid. But she doesn't only say that, yes, he will do what's expected of him. She goes deeper than that. She gives a deeper dedication. All his life I will dedicate to him. And for me, that that just rang so true, especially in our in our community, in our culture that is very churched, very Christian, very uh, Bible belty, is that there's this expectation when our kids are born that, yeah, they're being born into a Christian family. And so we feel like, well, that's enough. We feel like that's enough. But taking an example from Hannah here, she gives that deeper dedication. And we'll kind of talk about it a little bit more gives a deeper dedication that not only will this be this expected when he gets older. And I feel like that was kind of how I've dealt with people before, especially working in youth ministry. I've seen this play out before where, you know, we give a lot of a lot of um, freedom. Just just let them do whatever they're going to do. Let them live their life. Let them be happy. Let them uh, you know, participate in all these things. And then when they get older, they'll figure out this Christianity thing and they'll they'll get it right and they'll do their own thing. You know, kind of almost the same idea of like when they get older, they'll be committed. But right now they just need to do their thing. But thankfully for Hannah, she gives us an example that is so much more invested than that. She says, all his life, I want to dedicate him to the Lord. I want to give him to the Lord all his life, not just when he's older, not just when he can get it. I want to pour that into him now. Church, can we take an example from that with our children? Like we talked about this morning, can we be reading scripture over our babies before they understand a word that comes out of our mouth? Can we be praying for their spouses before they're, while they're years out, hopefully years out from any of those situations? You know, for, for my, I, I have all boys. For my young men, I pray constantly, God, protect their minds because they live in a filthy, disgusting world. Can we be praying, actively dedicating our children to the work of God through our prayers, through our participation, through our reading of Scripture, through our pouring into them as much as we can? A deeper dedication, not just the, because they live in the Bible Belt, they'll eventually figure it out. Can, they, can we give it to them now? Can we pour that into them now? 
That should be our intentions for our families. But she goes so deep, and I love this. She's asking to dedicate him completely, not just by profession, but also conviction. Listen, we can teach our kids to act and talk like Christians. But I don't want them to just know how to say it. I want them to live it. I want them to feel it. I don't want them to understand why we celebrate that a a Savior came, bore my sin and shame, died on the cross to offer me eternal life, not because I deserved it or earned it, but because he shows this everlasting faithful love towards his people and he reaches out with his hand to rescue us. And he's good and he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of my commitment. He's worthy of my dedication and he's worthy of being dedicated in my life, set apart in something holy and special. And she continues on, and I love this in verse 11. She says that she will give him all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now that's significant because what it is referencing is something in Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow, she is proclaiming over her child. So what is the Nazarite vow? What does this mean? Well, the first thing it means is that he will take part of no uh, grapevine products. No grapevine products. So for us, that doesn't really sound that, that appealing or, or that interesting. But what that means for them is this was kind of the representation of enjoying the pleasures of life. And so what she says is that I am promising the Nazarite vow over my children, my child, that he will not take part in the pleasures of the flesh. That I will lead him away from the pleasures of the flesh because there is greater things to partake in than what the flesh can get. And not only that, but then he, she says that he will uh, that no uh, there will be no mourning of the dead or come near the dead. And so what does that mean for us? Basically, what that means is that he will not acknowledge the joy or the suffering of this world because he understands there is a joy greater than anything this world could offer us. And that there is a joy greater than any sorrow we may experience in this life. And then the last thing that he, she says that he will never cut his hair. This is in part of that Nazarite vow that he will never cut his hair. The hair growing out long was a public sign, a public representation of that vow, of that commitment to God and his service. So basically what she's saying is that I want him to always be looking like and being a visible representation of a commitment to God. And we know that this commitment, that this love was real, because as she continues on, it says in verse 13, in her anxiety and her stress, it says in verse 13 of chapter 1, Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. She was praying and just pouring out herself so, so passionately that she wasn't even speaking out loud. It says the priest, uh, who has his own issues, and we may talk about that a little bit moving forward in the next couple of weeks, but he thought she was drunk because he wasn't hearing the words coming out of her mouth. And we know that this is in the day and age when they would stand on street corners and they would pray and they would praise and they would make sure everybody heard and everybody saw. But she was praying, just pouring out her spirit, the Bible tells us, to the Lord in prayer. Showing us that this is no show. This is not a show. She said, I'm not living or doing or raising my kids in the Lord for the benefit of anybody's, uh, anybody's perception. I'm pouring out myself for the Lord and his work because he's good and he's worthy of it. And because he's the only one that can actually do anything about it. 
John Bunyan, a theologian, uh, said this. He said, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Church, could our dedicated intentions be more than just playing the game? We can't afford as spouses, as parents, as individuals, we can't afford to just phone it in in our Christian life, to just go through the motions, to speak with our words and have no heart behind it. People don't always have to understand why we do what we do as Christians. And you know what? Most of the time they probably won't. You know, I always say one of the most awkward things a non-believer can do is walk into a church service because it just seems weird, right? We're singing to somebody that they don't believe in. We're praying to someone that they don't believe in or they don't understand. But we know who we worship and we know who he is. And the beautiful thing is that Hannah understood this too. The main reason that Hannah could be drawn into a dedicated submission and, and, and navigate life and prayer with dedicated intentions is because she knew who God was. And all of this was accomplished through an accurate understanding of the God that we serve. She understood that in her life. And she understood why that was so vital for not only herself and her family, but also for her child that she wanted to give back to God. So if you could, turn to... 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll see how we know that Hannah knew exactly who the Lord was. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah says this. She says, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like you, God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. And I love how she gets into this. She says, the barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit for, with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. His anointed being. He is speaking of Jesus. She is speaking of Jesus. Hannah is... is, is acknowledging Jesus long before Jesus would ever be on the earth because she had faith in who God was. There is none holy like our God. There is no warrior like our God. Earlier on in chapter 1, she calls out to the Lord of hosts. And this word Lord of hosts can also be, uh, can also be defined as the Lord of mighty armies 250 times in the Old Testament as the Lord of hosts, hosts called out to. 
Because they understood how mighty and how powerful our God is. And if we make a proclamation or, 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 or call out to anybody that it's that God. Because, like it said there, the barren, the barren has borne seven. Those who could not have, now have. You know, the awesome thing about Hannah's name is that Hannah's name means favor or grace. She received double portions for giving nothing. She received double portions from Elkanah for nothing because of grace. Because of grace. It is in the barren spaces that we meet God's grace. And Hannah and, and, and her family lay before us this foundational work for salvation through this exemplified living. Even in the mess of their family, their family was a mess. Polygamy, the other wife being so ugly and hateful. Hannah struggling and just distressed and anxious constantly. That even in the mess of a family, God works. He is the key actor in the narrative. God is the key, church. This holy God that there is none other like him. Even in the midst of all the obstacles, a husband that didn't carry the same faith as she did. She was mocked and ridiculed. Ill treatment from the religious leader that called her drunk and her own brokenness and inability. In the midst of all those obstacles, she reached out to the God of heaven, cried out to him. And he showed grace to her. Because in verse 20, we see this. It says, in due time, Hannah bore a son. And his name was Samuel. And the name Samuel means God has heard. In our lives, single, dating, married, kids, no kids. Church, the thing we need to understand is that God's grace always brings his attention. That God is not distracted from our details. God is not distracted from the details of our life. He is intently focused on us. Every one of us the same way. He knows he's numbered the hairs on our head. He's numbered the stars in the sky. He is intently focused on us. And it's, you know, as we navigate marriage and life and raising kids, there is so much that can feel overwhelming. There is so much that can just feel exhausting and we can get distracted and we get pulled into so many different things. And what Hannah is, is showing us here, what she's drawing us into is constantly pursuing dedication daily. Pursue dedication daily. And we've talked about how do we do that this morning. We do that through submission and godly intentions. We pursue that dedication through submission and godly intentions. Knowing that it doesn't mean perfection. Thank God that it doesn't mean perfection, but it means progression. That we step into what he's got for us. We step into what he has and, and where he's showing us. And we constantly go call, call out to him. We constantly lean into what he has and where he wants us and our families and, and our kids to go. And to understand that there is no obstacle that is too big to oppose those in God's victory. Church, I pray that as individuals, I pray as, as couples, I pray as parents, I pray that we would never get distracted from the dedication that God is calling us to. And we do that through submission. We do, through that, uh, do that through our, our daily intentions, of seeking Him, knowing that He is the Holy One and that there is no other like Him.
that can provide, that can guide. You know, that we can pray, that I could pray for my 12-year-old and that as he grows and as he learns, you know, he's going to make mistakes and he's going to do things I don't agree with and he's going to go directions I wish he wouldn't go, but I'm praying to a holy God. Father, meet him where he's at. God, walk alongside him every step of the way. God, protect his mind, protect his heart. I pray that we could not only be doing that for ourselves, I pray we would be doing that for our spouses, and I pray we'd be doing that for our kids daily. Daily seeking dedication. Dedication in our commitment to Him and dedication in setting Him apart as something valuable and special and worthy of praise in our life. Let's pray this morning, church. Father God, I thank You for this morning. God, I just thank You for Your goodness. I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy in our life. Father, I just ask You this morning, God, as as parents, as people, individuals, married, single, single parenting, whatever it may be, Father God, I pray, Lord, that we are daily submitting to you, dedicating ourselves to you, committing ourselves to who you are. God, laying ourselves before you with our gifts, with our talents. God, you've blessed us with so much. God, allow us to give those things back to you. God, with our intentions, Father, Lord, for, for us with, with younger kids, Father, I pray that they would never, these gifts of children that you've given us would never become our gods, but we would understand that they are gifts to be sharpened and to be used for kingdom contributions in the world around us, God, that we would be trying to create and cultivate godly leaders. God, maybe not necessarily ministers of the gospel, but God, uh, you know, working in churches, but maybe they're minister of the gospels in their workplace. Maybe they're ministers of the gospels in their families that they'll have one day, Father. Lord, when you call us to make disciples of all the world, Father God, I pray that that place would start at home with our spouses, with our children. God, let us start by making disciples with those closest to us. God, challenge us where we need to be challenged in this area. God, I ask you to forgive me in ways where I've fallen short to disciple my children, my wife, the way I should. God, I pray for husbands this morning. God, I pray you challenge them. God, just, just shake the laziness out of us. God, help us to submit to you, understanding that you're worthy of it, God, and allow us to be as Elkanah, leading our families to worship, leading our families to, to making offering and giving to you. And I pray for mothers this morning, Father God, I pray you give them the courage and strength to step in and fill the void of leadership where there's a void. God, give them the courage and strength it takes to lead their children to the well of your word, praying scripture over them, praying for their spouses, praying for their futures. God, give courage and strength to strong women of the word in our church, God they would step into their place where they need to be in their families, God. Not be intimidated. Not feel like they don't have a place, God. Not feel like they are not good enough. Father, give them courage and confidence this morning. Father, I, I just thank you again. God, challenge us in every way. Father, and if we have not put our faith in you this morning, someone has not put their faith in you and understand that you are a holy God like none other. And that you are a Father who defines us not by our failures, but by your grace. God, allow us to rest in that goodness. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.